Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now certified productive environment specialist and ADHD productivity coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design, and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek. I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. A strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Good morning, everyone. Katherine Avery of ProductivityByDesign.com and your host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. I am super excited because today I have a special guest with me. Her name is Jimmy Beth Myers. She is a former professional rodeo performer turned New York City marketing head. She is a leadership coach helping leaders get promoted while creating happy, productive teams. Who doesn't love happiness and productivity together? She uses horses, surprise, as one of the tools to help leaders and their teams connect, successfully influence others to get more done with greater ease. And I love this part, all while getting their nights and weekends back. And Jimmy Beth doesn't know this, but my signature talk is called Less Work, More Weekend. So you can imagine where we're starting. Thanks for being here. I'm so psyched you're here. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a fun conversation. Absolutely. So let's sort of start at the beginning. How did you go from being in the rodeo world to marketing? Well, that's it. I actually started marketing in the rodeo world. I, I wrote my first press release when I was 12. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of marketing that goes on marketing rodeo events. And, and my mom was in rodeo marketing in particular. So it was sort of a natural, a natural thing. And then I ended up sort of moving into that and worked at a, a digital agency back, dating myself a little bit back when the internet was somewhat new, and then just have kind of kept with it. I've taken a few detours as a curious person. Sometimes, you know, those those shiny objects seem, you know, pretty interesting, but always seem to come back to marketing. Right. 50 tabs open in your brain at one time. Yeah, right. That's, that's me. <laughs> that's me. So yeah, that's also a lot of my clients, probably some of your clients too. It's so true. Absolutely. So you are not the first person I've met who works with professionals and works with horses, as you know, but you each have very different takes on how you do it. So I'd love to hear about how you work with professionals and horses to help them become better managers, team members, collaborators. I'm sure there's 65 things that can go on in that team building exercise with a horse. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I work with leaders one-on-one or I more often though, I worked with intact teams. So the leader plus their whole team kind of comes together to, to do the work with the horses. And we do a lot of talking in advance 
of the time with the horses about, you know, sort of what their goals are as, as leaders and teams and, you know, kind of where, where they feel like they are, they're maybe missing the mark or they've got some more room to sort of take advantage of some of the strengths that are on their team. And then we designed the activities around, you know, making sure that, that we kind of drive home those kinds of experiences. And so, you know, for example, we may just have a team that is moving a horse from one end of the arena to the other end of the arena. And their goal is to, you know, get together, make a plan for how they're going to do that and then execute on it. And then we do some coaching around what happened out with the horses. And the horse is just such a good mirror because they, they react very much to like what your intention is much more so than even uh, sort of what your activity and your action is. The way that the horse behaves is it's a really nice reflection point that we bring into the coaching. And so, you know, a lot of times what will happen is, is that if you have somebody who sort of takes over the activity, almost always, they also take over meetings and things like that. And so it becomes a, a discussion of using that visceral experience of being together and doing something new and different and having all of that reflected back to them from the horse, and then pairing it with the coaching that happens in between all of the activities where we're really talking about like, how is what you experienced here showing up in your work? And then, you know, how can we make changes uh, moving forward? And when you get back to the office, whatever get back to the office means these days, <laughs> and now that we're, we're all so virtual. Right, exactly. But I would think that even in virtual meetings, dominant folks still stand out. They yep. they are the first ones to sort of answer questions or be, and I, I know I can be that person. So I have to like really watch. I'm like, have I talked too much today? Okay, I'm going to step back and let other people talk. But it's interesting as I've learned about myself, I've also noticed when other people aren't talking at all. And I always want to be telling the leader, like ask so-and-so to speak so we can hear their brilliance. Yeah. No, so it's, no, I think that it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, to when you're thinking about introverted people, and, and there's some professions in particular that sort of draw a, a wider number of introverted people, and whether you're in tech or, you know, the auditors or, you know, the accounting also kind of tends to draw that. And, you know, there's a lot of really interesting techniques that you can use in terms of running sort of balanced, equitable kind of meetings and thinking about people's sort of engagement style is one of the ways that you can really get the most out of having a full meeting and having your full team. And so one of the interesting things about the work that we do with the, the coaching with horses is that it's all strength-based. So one of the, before everybody gets on the site with the horses, they take the Clifton Strengths test. And so we spend the entire time together with all of our top strengths on our name badge. And we spend a lot of time integrating that back in with the idea that when you know what everybody's strengths are, you can really leverage those strengths. And I think that sometimes that can be really helpful in, in getting everybody kind of in check in terms of both participating and also giving the floor to other people in meetings as well. Right. So is that the same as StrengthsFinder? It is. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So one of my top in StrengthsFinder is connections. Yeah. And so I love to connect everything. That's just how I am. And so I think my, believe it or not, I'm actually more of an introvert than an extrovert. I know I don't look like one at all, <laughs> but I really do recharge by being alone. And so in this sort of funny blend, when I'm on you know, these calls and wanting to speak and engage, it's because I want to connect. It's not because I want to take over. So it's, it's kind of a funny thing, but it, it does come across as looking like taking over. So I've really, like I said, I've learned how to step back and not always be the one talking because 
Well, and also now, you know, I'm a coach. You don't talk much at all. You ask some good questions, you know, you might give a little uh, feedback, but basically the other person's talking and you get a chance to really listen, which I love. And um, I'm guessing podcasting has really helped with that because I do less talking on the podcast than my guests typically do. So very, very interesting. I love the whole idea of seeing how the uh, horses can mirror, how they can reflect what's going on in the situation. And I think the thing that, that you just mentioned too, and just in that, that story is, is the, just this idea of how important self-reflection is and really understanding what the intention behind the action is. Cause, uh, and I think that when you are really strengths-based and you have that mirroring and that visceral kind of activity together with the horses, it really allows people to totally understand what people's strengths are and what their intentions are. And it really smooths out and builds a lot of trust on a team, which is is so important for being productive, for sure. Right. So it would be interesting to me to think about this, because I know you had told me a story about a gentleman who um, was always the one managing everybody. And he thought he was fixing problems and providing solutions. And, and his intentions were really good. And his team thought he was just taking over because he thought they didn't know what they were doing, you know? And and you look at that and suddenly that opens that conversation you can have so that he can pull back a little bit, but at the same time, they can also understand him and where he was coming from and no longer be just mad at him. Like, oh, okay. Wow. I didn't realize that you were just trying to fix things. Okay. You know, I mean, men, men like to fix things. (laughs) One of the things men are great. Right. <laughs> One of the things that's really helpful about having, you know, having strengths, being a sort of a strengths based team and being really overtly aware of what your strengths are and what everybody else's strengths are is that it becomes like this common language on the team too. And so when somebody's doing something like that, or, if, you know, you like to share information and it becomes like confusing because you're just like blurting out lots and lots of data and you're kind of losing your audience, sometimes it's it becomes like a nice way to say, you know, which one of your strengths are you maybe overdoing right now? And it allows team members to kind of talk to each other without feeling critical because you've got this shared experience and this shared language around what your strengths are, all with the intention of sort of making the team as a unit stronger. And so people report back very often that that is a very useful tool that they go back with. That's that's sort of a byproduct of the way that we run the coaching with horses uh, programs. Right, right. And I would think as you build your team, there's efficiencies to be gained. There's trust. There's just so many invaluable opportunities. There are. And you know, it's interesting because you mentioned trust too, because there's two levels of trust, right? And so the one level is just like the basic level that's like, I trust that you're going to do your job. When you say you're going to do something, I trust that you're going to do it. The deeper, more profound trust, it really says, you know, I trust that even when I'm not around, when you haven't promised or committed to anything, that you're going to think about me and my best interests and how the team all together fits together when you're making decisions or when you're advocating for resources or whatever in the organization. It's challenging to get to that level of trust without a lot of shared experiences. Uh, And so, you know, the coaching with horses is such a a great way to sort of accelerate that because it's a combination of doing and reflecting and doing the coaching around it and everything. But I think that, you know, when you're talking about productivity, that the value of having trust and how much faster and better you can be as an individual and as a team, when you have that trust built in is really powerful. Absolutely. 
So what are you seeing? We're a year into working from home. I think some businesses are slowly going back. What are you seeing with corporate team building as a we're in a Zoom world? Yeah, I mean, I think that some teams are struggling a little bit more than others. And I'm really finding that that teams that are more field teams, like people that are normally in like pharmaceutical sales and, you know, the entire team structure and the way that they connect and both with their customers and with each other is very much physically in person, you know, out on the road, that kind of a thing. Right. And, you know, and I think that when we think about sort of different ways that we can spend time together, the having a bit of a hybrid approach. I think even moving forward, once everything goes back to just whatever normal is or whatever the new normal is, it's probably going to be the way that things have to go or the way that things go. And so having a lot of really mindful, intentional focus on the team as a unit, whereas you know when we were all kind of in the same office, you didn't have to work quite as hard at it because there was sort of a you know, when your cubicles were all kind of clustered together and you spend a lot of time in boardrooms and that kind of a thing. You just didn't have to work quite as hard at the the shared experience part. And, and I think the team leaders are really finding that kind of a focus is really helpful moving forward. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So we had talked, I guess last week, about working from home and you made all this transition all during the start of the pandemic. So what it was like for Jimmy Beth <laughs> to leave corporate yeah. two weeks before an international oh. pandemic. I know, you know, leaving corporate is really scary. I mean, we're just so conditioned as a society to really appreciate a salary and benefits and and all of the perceived security that goes along with that. And I'd sort of done everything right. You know, I built the side hustle that was successful, watched the economy and, you know, made my move at the exact right moment or so I thought. And then two weeks later, we we went on lockdown, was completely blindsided by everything really kind of transitioned relatively smoothly. I was already sort of partially online anyway, because my client base is is international. And so for certain, all of those clients, I was already meeting with online. And now, you know, for my executive coaching, which is, you know, a big portion of of what I do, it transitioned very nicely into Zoom. And the coaching with horses was, was, you know, we kind of had to take a little bit of a pause because we didn't know how to be together. It took us a little while to figure out how to share space together in the beginning of the pandemic. But, but what I have found is that companies have been really focused on making sure that their employees, their teams, especially their team leaders, have had a lot of support during this last year. And coaching and executive education have been, you know, a pretty big role in, in all of that. And so, and even companies that did some downsizing and reorganization at the beginning of the pandemic or in that first six months, you know, they they created a lot of first-time managers. And I think that they found that they really needed to provide a lot of support because the sort of natural sort of fostering of those skills that you can ask a lot of questions in the office really kind of in passing was not really available to to kind of the bringing up of new managers. So I've actually found that, you know, this last year has been a, a very productive, good year in, in, in terms of uh, companies focusing in on the education and the development of their teams. That's great. I would think this is really going to be a time, I hope this is going to be a time where businesses rethink how they're going forward. I mean, I see my husband's an architect. Uh, they have a small office. There's about 10 people and their lease is up in May and they're not renewing. 
you know, they, this experiment, right, <laughs> has been successful. Everybody's working really hard. They're working hard from home. They've got their desks set up or, you know, whatever they've done. I mean, that's a big part of what I do is help people get set up in their home offices. Actually, funny story on my husband. He, when he first started working from home, it was last March, his office is in our lower, lower level. So there's not as much natural light. And we had, you know, sort of a, a thicker curtain over the window just so people couldn't see in. The first thing we had to do was open his curtain so he got more natural light. But the second thing was he had the news on all the time. And we have a big screen TV downstairs. So it's really kind of in your face, even if you're not looking directly at it. And he's not looking directly at it when he's working. It's behind him. And he just said, you know, he was really feeling very down and miserable. And I said, um, why don't you put on some nature scene on the TV so that when you turn around or glance back or whatever, you know, it's birds and trees and lakes and sunshine and whatever. And he said, I could put on golf. And I said, yeah, that's perfect. And it really helped him to feel more like comfortable while he was working. You know, golf is kind of very quiet. It's not a constant rattling in the background of someone talking. Oh, well, I guess some, but you know, it's a different kind of talking. It's not all the news all the time. And when the pandemic started, that's what all anyone talked about 24 seven. It just wasn't, you just couldn't tune into anything else. <laughs> like the golf channel was a great, great call on his part. And he still does that. He still has it on. And again, he's still focused on working. It's just when he turns around, he's got an outdoor view that's obviously manufactured, but still psychologically, I knew you would know this, it still works. So working from home is a very different thing. And one of the things I noted early on before, when we were speaking before we came on the podcast was that you have tons of plants and you're in the city and probably it was very hard in the beginning of the pandemic to get out and, you know, do like walking in Central Park or whatnot. So talk to me about how you managed your home office environment so that it's, it, one, reflects you. Obviously, a horse painting reflects you, but I'm fascinated by the plants. Well, I think, you know, it's an interesting thing because I, I feel very fortunate because we do have, you know, a room with a door that is a home office. I talked to some clients that are just in, in the very beginning, I had one client that was sharing a studio apartment in New York City with her partner, and they were switching between having meetings on the bed and in the bathroom because they both couldn't be on Zoom at the same time. And I have another client that spent nine months working on the floor on a laptop on top of her diapers box. And she was just like so hopeful that we were going to go back to normal that she was just like, I'm not buying a desk. I'm not giving into this. So I feel really fortunate that I have a door and a, in like a specific workspace because I, I realized what a luxury that is and hearing yeah. some of the, the work setups for other people. But I did start out with a reasonable number of plants, you know, because I was really not at work. I mean, I was not in the office all that much here. I was mostly out in other people's offices. And they, New York City is, is famous for having lots of plants in the offices. So I got to enjoy some of the greenery, the indoor greenery that way. But it started with one plant. And because I'm here all the time, they get a lot of love and I propagate them often. So, you know, I, I'm always making new plants out of them and and that kind of a thing. And then I swap plants with, with people in the neighborhood. And I'm in some plant groups. I've, I've gone like totally in pandemic plant crazy. And it's been quite wonderful. So, you know, my family has a, a farm stand in, outside of Philadelphia, New Jersey. 
we raise organic chickens and we have eggs and all of that. So like, I mean, I think that I, I got an arrow garden. So I'm also like, you know, making, you know, a couple of salads a week out of my own growing. That's great. Um, and that's just been so wonderful. Like it just like the visceral feeling of like touching nature and caring for something that's living has been, you know, just a, a really great relief, I think, in terms of just a one of the stress relief mechanisms that I've uh, certainly leaned into pretty hard this, this last year. Well, um, when the pandemic started, we get most of our fresh produce in the summer from the farm. No farm owner for, for, I don't even know how many years, at least 10. And people kind of tease me because I'll make food and then I'll mention that I got it from the farm. At any rate, she immediately jumped in and she said, well, even though I don't normally, you know, open until like, I don't know, mid-April, early May, somewhere in there, she opened early. And I was really kind of afraid to go anywhere. I just didn't, we knew so little about what the health implications were. And I'm a cancer survivor and I just wasn't going to take any chances. And the one place I would go is the farm. So I'd go every single week and, you know, hang out with the chickens, walk the gardens. It was my big outing. Yeah. Um, I walked the neighborhood, you know, so I got to know quite a few of my neighbors. But that was it for me at the beginning was going to the farm. And we also took our little pod in um, Connecticut. You could have up to five people as long as they were family members. So we kind of extended family ever so slightly and included my husband's sister, who I adore, Carol, and her husband, Dan. And we were our little pandemic pod and met every Friday night for pizza. And we'd take turns purchasing pizzas. You know, one week we'd get pizza, they'd get pizza the next week. And sometimes we'd get Chinese food, you know, we'd mix it up. And we would just go up to their house and hang out for a couple hours. And that was it. And it really came out of me saying, and this, I think this is important, and it's something I see you doing, which is why I'm bringing it up. Me saying to my husband, y'all are really introverted, you and, and our daughter, Caroline. I said, I'm a little less introverted. And if I don't have anybody, I'm going to go insane. This will not work for me. So let's see if your sister and brother-in-law want to do this. And if they do, you know, and we really honored it. We were like, we did not see anybody else. And that way we could really keep that little pod tight. Sure enough, they, they were game and it really helped us. And I think the point of that is, is knowing yourself, knowing who you are, and then asking for what you need. And so here you are. And what you needed was plant groups and enjoying the greenery inside and setting up your environment to make you feel good. Well, I think that, you know, just to bring that back to the office and what you were talking about earlier about teams and, and I, and I think that the teams or the, the companies that have been virtual only or virtual first for a long time, the thing that they have really put the, the successful ones have put into place. One is they provide ergonomic support, which is something that, you know, I know you're plugged into because of the office setup, but you know, they have a sort of a practice or policy that when people have come on board, they have to take pictures of their office and then they give them recommendations for better setup. And, you know, they're looking at it more from a, like a health perspective uh, than, than anything, I think. And then the other thing that would, is what you, your last story kind of sparked for me is that they have like a lot of really purposeful 
time that they spend together. So the virtual only companies that I work with, a lot of them have quarterly meetings where they kind of take their real estate money that they're not spending on having a physical space and they spend it on these quarterly times where they all get together. This is pre-pandemic, but the spirit behind it is, is that they even the, the virtual only companies realize that in-person engagement, that you have to have that to have connection and to really build that trust on teams so that you can have you know, a lot of productivity and also to allow people to make judgments and become leaders and all of those kinds of skills, like you really need the, the foundational trust. And that very often, it, it's really hard to replace that in-person uh, connection. It doesn't mean that you need to go sit in a cubicle next to, next to everybody every day, though, right? But I think that part of the reason that you feel so happy thinking about this last year and those Friday night pizza nights and your trips to the farm is because they are you know, purposeful and they feel an, like a really specific need. And so I think companies can do that for their teams in, in a lot of different ways. And that's probably going to be part of the roadmap moving forward is trying to figure out how to incorporate that in, in a way that, that's good for uh, the teams and also good for the company as well. Right. And I've, I've kind of been fascinated by this because if you're in a smaller company, you may or may not be getting that support, both the ergonomic support and then, you know, the how do you set up your office? And one of the things I'd be fascinated by, and we haven't done it yet, is how has our heating bill changed since my husband's working from home all the time? What kind of things does he need? Luckily, he already had a really good ergonomic chair and a desk. I mean, he was already set up. A lot of people aren't. I mean, you talk about the diaper box. The spring, I contacted, we we were coming down here for a month where I'm right now, I'm in my um, beach home. And I knew that the kids were going to need desks because they were still in school and taking finals. And then my husband and I were going to need desks because we were going to have to work from home. And, you know, being home, a second home. And by the way, a lot of people did this during the pandemic. They went to second homes. This place I rent out. So it was packed and it's packed this summer too. I already had a desk. So this is my home office in my second home. There's a day bed in here and it doubles as a bedroom and there's a bathroom it's just a desk, you know, with a nice desk lamp and I plug in my laptop and I'm good to go. I went to go get desks and this was probably early May and contacted West Elm. And it was kind of like, what desks do you have left? <laughs> there was just nothing <laughs> because there had just been a run on desks. And once they sold out of their inventory, I'm not going to specifically pick on them because it's many, many companies. One of the things we're seeing in the design industry, because I'm still sort of tapped into it, is 24-week lead times to get furniture. That's like almost crazy, half right? a year. That's yeah. almost half a year. That is an insane amount of time to have to wait for furniture. It used to be 12 to 14 weeks. And I think it's this backlog. Even the pieces that are required to make things. So I was all set to buy a sailboat last fall. And when I talked to the gentleman who sells them, they're, they're kind of custom made. And he said, there are parts we get out of Massachusetts that we can't even get because they're not being manufactured right now because of the pandemic. So everything is slowed down. Then throw in the ever given <laughs> in Egypt and you know, the canal. And, and, you know, it's all really backlogged. And I kind of laugh, but I'm not looking for furniture. So I want to be very sincere about the people who are looking for furniture. I'm really sorry because they're really stakes that you have to wait so incredibly long. And the last sort of furniture story around this, it's not office related at all, 
is my outdoor table broke and I'm going into rental season. So it's work related because I rent this place out. You can't order a table. There's just, you know, it would be the end of season before I get it, right? So I had called a company I know where I'm familiar with the brand because I used to be a designer. So, you know, I'm pretty familiar with brands. And I said, in this brand, what do you have coming on the truck for your spring delivery? <laughs> you know, you, you kind of worked, worked the problem backwards, right? It's I like did. figure out what's available and then meet your needs. <laughs> and I just got a call from them that they don't even think the truck's going to be here in April. They think it's going to be May. So my first renters just may not have, you know, an outdoor table on the patio. We might borrow my parents. I mean, that's how crazy it is. So it's a new life. There's a lot of changes. There are things that we are having to adapt to. Some of us are doing it more gracefully than others. <laughs> I think there needs to be a lot of room, and I'd love to sort of wrap with this idea for mental health. One of the things I'm seeing now is people are done. They don't want to be doing this anymore. And we're, you know, we're so close where, you know, people, I've gotten my two shots. It doesn't mean I've changed my behavior at all. My stress level has dropped dramatically, but my behavior is the same. I'm very, still very particular about who I spend time with. You know, do we sit outside? Do we sit inside? All that kind of stuff. You know, the first hug from a friend, it was like, what? We can do this? (laughs) What? You know, but they'd had their two shots. I'd had my two shots and we could. And we were kind of, it was so different. So I think there's really going to need to be room for services like yours, where, you know, as people bring these teams back together in person again, I think you're going to have a lot of people who are like, I'm not ready. That they're, they're going to be a little afraid. And I think we need to make space for that. Yeah, no, I, I totally think that that's true. And I do think that, you know, one of the benefits of just the natural way that the coaching with horses is set up is that, that it is sort of naturally social distanced and outdoors. And so, you know, hopefully that mitigates uh, some of the apprehension that, that people have, which is just, you know, such a natural thing to feel at this particular stage when we're still dealing with a lot of risk and a lot of unknowns, right? Which is, is you know, that recipe for angst around all of this. But I do think that, you know, certainly taking all of the the normal preventive, preventative measures into account, plus the natural sort of social distancing and being outdoors that, it, you know, it's a very, um, you know, it's certainly a safer um, group activity than so many that are, you know, and this is specifically focused in around, you know, the, the team development and the individual leader development. And it's not, you know, because some of the other things I think that all, also very valuable too, is that they're, they're doing some outdoor things with um, that are more just sort of like bonding, you know, more not not so much like really working on sort of growing as leaders and focused on productivity. But this kind of gets you a little double, a double dip on both of those, uh, for sure, when when you're talking about doing the the, uh, leadership coaching with horses, for sure. Right. And, you know, the outdoor activities are great. I'm actually really concerned about people physically going back into offices with cubicles or open floor plan. And, you know, things are really going to change. I think we're going to see more... um, what they call hot desking, which everyone will be like, what the heck is hot desking? Where you don't have a specific desk and you just come into a desk when you come in and then you won't be necessarily in the office five days a week. That's my hunch. I think we kind of have had always needed to go that direction anyway. 
because of this whole idea, and you know, we really started here with the work-life balance, that will allow people to have a better lifestyle. I mean, now, instead of commuting an hour, um, maybe they're commuting an hour each way, two days a week instead of five. And you know, those extra hours, I mean, a lot of people are spending them working. They're not necessarily spending them playing golf. Um, but maybe now they're freed up more so that on the weekend they can't. You know, and that's a, a big plus. I know a lot of people who would, because they commute, you know, like 10 hours a week, work a couple hours on Saturday uh, to catch up. So it's just going to be a very interesting time. I'm really excited about it. I think it's amazing to talk to people like you who are in much more of a corporate area than I am. I tend to work with smaller businesses um, to hear how the big corporations are handling this is, is exciting. So the last thing. I always ask everybody, what is your favorite productivity strategy? What's what's that day-to-day thing you go to that just makes your life so much easier as you're working? My main number one thing is very low tech that I, uh, when I close down at night, one of the sort of closing rituals that I do is that I create a post-it note, an official post-it note for the next day with the three things that I'm committing to getting done as the main focus. And then I put that on my computer screen so that when I sit down and have my opening ritual in the morning, since I think that those rituals are so important uh, when you're living and working in the same space Mm -hmm. these days, I'm really kind of reminded of what my focus is and what I've committed to. And and I really do commit to only keeping it to three, which is really hard on some days when you feel really busy. But yeah. um, but it's, it's really, if you do three, you can get all three done. If you do five, you usually end up a little disappointed, don't you? <laughs> right, right. I love that it's only three. I love that you have rituals. I think ritual is really important. And I think when you write down, two things happen when you write down what you want to do tomorrow, the night before, or, or the evening before, let's say. <laughs> so hopefully people aren't <laughs> writing it down at 10 o'clock at night. One, you sleep better because you're yeah. not worried about what is it I have to do tomorrow? I can't remember. And two, your brain, I guess your subconscious brain, I'm not like an intellect on this, starts to work on those things overnight. So when you wake up in the morning, you might have that bang up amazing idea as you're taking a shower. And I'm always the person who thinks like, I really need a recording device in the shower, you know, I hear that from a lot of work. people, right? Well, in, in, in years ago, there was a game show on and they were asking, you know, where do you get your most creative ideas? And everybody was answering and nobody was getting it. And I'm like screaming because I'm, this is pre cell phones. So I'm in the car. So I can't even find, I'm literally looking for a uh, pay phone. What are they called? Pay phones. I'm looking for a pay phone. So that I could call into the radio station because I'm like, it's the shower, people. It's the shower. And I just knew it intuitively. I didn't even really know that scientifically. I don't know if someone finally got it, but I was just so frustrated. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm in a car. You know, if we did cell phones, I could have pulled over, dialed the cell phone and called in. But that was, I mean, I'm aging myself now. At any rate, enough on that. How can people find you <laughs> to be fast? Well, I am at jimmybeth.com. It's J-I-M-I-B-E-T-H. More like a Jimi Hendrix kind of a, an approach to, to Jimmy Beth. And yeah, and you can find me there and I, for leadership coaching or um, I do a lot of, you know, corporate executive training as well as the, the coaching with horses, which is what we spent a lot of time chatting about today. Super fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, 
and www.productivitybydesign.com. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.